0: Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church, and go Chiefs, right? Well, so good to see you. If I have not met you yet, my name's Journey, Jernigan. I'd love to get the chance to meet you. I'm glad you're here today. I'm going to start off today by asking a question. <clears throat> have you ever experienced a situation where maybe you had a goal or a dream or um, a hope, a vision, whatever word you want to use there? Uh, and you started towards it. You were excited about it. You're like, man, we are, we are, we are letting, we're getting out of the docks. We're letting go of the ropes and we are setting sail towards this hope, this dream, this goal, this vision, whatever it is. And then life happened and kind of sunk the dream. Anybody ever felt that? Ever experienced that? You know, when we're talking about the stuff uh, in our everyday life and, and you know, this kind of stuff happens, you start off thinking about, all right, I'm gonna accomplish these things today. And then life just sometimes has other plans. Sometimes those other plans are the names of your children, maybe, I don't know. Um, you know, and so when that kind of stuff happens in the day-to-day, like it, it can be a little, it can be a little irritating, and can be a little frustrating. But when we start thinking about, not just the stuff in our day-to-day, but when we start talking about the stuff that interrupts and messes up the hopes and the dreams and the plans that we have for our life, or perhaps a a particular goal, a thing that we're hoping for and praying for in a particular season of our life. You see, if we're not careful, then when when those plans, when those dreams get interrupted, when those hopes get sunk, And what happens is, is not only can it, can it mess up, mess us up for a season of life, we're not careful, it can actually send us into a vortex to send our lives just spiraling. And so today, as we continue in our momentum series, God's put a message on my heart today for anybody that's ever been interrupted by life. God's put a message on my heart today to share with anybody that, that has set sail towards something awesome, something great, something, something that you prayed for and planned for and hoped for. And then something happened and interrupted those hopes and dreams and those plans. And God's put a message on my heart today for anybody that's here and you're going, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never had that happen in my life. In Which case I need to become friends with you and figure out what you're doing. But God's put a message in my heart for you to prepare you for when it does. I've titled the message today, Unsinkable. And I want to clarify what we're talking about today because there's a problem that, that, that I believe that God's calling us to think about and to address and to solve today. And it's the problem that happens with a lot of people. Maybe you're a review, in which case you probably should be preaching this message and not me. But the problem that a lot of us have in different areas, in different ways, in different seasons of our life is that we start well, but we don't always finish well. Now, some of the things that we start well are small, but not insignificant. Sometimes the thing that we start well is the plan to get healthier, right? Like it's, it's still January. It's only been two weeks since you let go of those resolutions, Maybe your goal was to get more fit physically or, or maybe your goal was to get more financially fit and get your finances in order. I don't, I don't know. Some of those things are kind of smaller kind of decisions that have, but they're not insignificant. They make a significant impact on our life and the trajectory of our life. But then there are other things that we start that are really, really big that alter the landscape and the trajectory of our life. Perhaps you, you are trying to start a relationship. Maybe you're thinking about starting a family. Maybe you're thinking about starting a new job, a new career, or a new business. Maybe you're thinking about starting, I don't know, a small group. Maybe you're thinking about starting a serving opportunity. I don't know what it is, but here's the deal. What happens in so many ways and so many seasons of our life is that we have a tendency as people to start well, but we don't always Finish well, and the reason we don't always finish well is because something happens. Something happens that an obstacle, a, a hindrance, a, something that was that was overwhelming and catastrophic, that just kind of completely upset the apple cart and caused the the focus of what you were doing and where you were going and why you were doing and going towards that thing to completely become unravelled. And we begin to shift our thoughts and shift our mind to other things, and we begin to change course in our lives. And ultimately, if we're not careful, what happens in the hope and the dream or the prayer or or the plan, or the goal, whatever it is, because that thing happened, it upset things so much that the dream gets sunk and long forgotten. Now, I just wanna ask the question today, is it possible, is it possible to have a life? Is it possible to build a life that is unsinkable? Is it possible that we can live our lives in such a way that when the things of life happen, when the things come, that, yeah, we might have to course correct for just a moment, but whatever the hope, the vision, the plan, the dream, whatever it is, the goal, that that we can live our lives in such a way that we can can overcome the obstacles and we can continue to Sail towards the dream, the hope, the plan, the vision, the goal. And, and, and the goal in our life can be unsinkable. And I believe the answer is yes. And I want to teach you how to do that today. and I want to help you understand this. But here's the deal. The answer so oftentimes in our American way is just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and grip my teeth and rub some dirt in it and just mm, willpower. I'm going to get there. I'm just going to tell you it's not, that's not going to work for you. It might work for moments in certain situations and maybe for certain seasons, but ultimately, you will not and you cannot build a life that is unsinkable just through sheer willpower. What you're going to have to learn is that the answer to building a life that is unsinkable is not building up or fortifying the walls of your life. Instead, the answer is learning to become more resilient. So the question is, is well, how do we how do we do that? How do we become more resilient? One word, and the answer is momentum. That's what we've been unpacking. That's what we've been talking about in this series. What we've learned so far in this series is that we learned in week one that there is an unstoppable force of God called momentum that, 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 that overwhelms every single gravity force moment that wants to come in opposition to the work of God and to the will of God and the ways of God and the plan of God. And we unpack from the passage, from the verses of scripture all the way from the beginning to the end, how God, his momentum is un, quenchable. You can't oppose it, that it is unstoppable and that it's headed to victory. In week two, we learned as we got to the end of Revelation that, that victory is the destination of where God's momentum is heading. And then in week three, last week, we learned in our lives that ultimately the way that God's momentum works in our lives is that it grows towards our maturity in Jesus. And so what I want to do today is I want to start piecing all of this together and start getting crazy, crazy practical about how the things that we've learned in the series so far, and if you miss it, you can go back and catch it on the podcast or on YouTube, but I want to start piecing this together and help us to see how we do it. And as we get started, I want to tell you, there's two things that I know. There's one thing I know about you, and there's one thing I know about God, and you might go, preacher, man, I don't even know you. So you step back saying, you know something about me. You don't know nothing about me. Well, no, I do know something about you. I know that you were created on purpose for a purpose. That that the way that you are, the things that make you up, the things that define and describe you, none of it was an accident. Ephesians 3.20 tells us this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So maybe you're here today and you're unsure about this whole Jesus thing. You're not really sure that you believe in Jesus or maybe you don't even know who Jesus is, in which case, I just wanna say, I'm glad that you're here. There's no better place. If you've got questions about who Jesus is, man, you picked a great day to come to church because the church should be providing some answers to some of those questions. You might go, I don't really know where I am on this whole Jesus thing. I'm not really sure that I believe that I was, that I was made. But, but here's the deal. What this verse is telling us in Ephesians chapter two is it is telling us that before you were created, before God wired you together and, and, and brought it all together to make you you, what God did was he looked out over the expanse of his entire kingdom, over the entire universe, and he found a gap. And what he found was there was a gap that needed to be filled by a specific person who had a certain type of personality, certain interests and certain abilities and certain gifts and certain skill sets. And God said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill that gap in my kingdom. And he created you. You go, you know, you can debate with me about that. I don't really believe all that. Okay. Okay. That's fine. I would just like to suggest to you that, that you can choose to spend time right now in this moment in your mind debating me. I don't believe that preach me, I don't believe none of that stuff. Or I would suggest that perhaps the more valuable use of your time as you're listening to me talk is to ask yourself the question: why, when I have moments of clarity that I realize how confused I am, do I get to the moments where I ask the question, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And I believe the reason why you are asking those questions, the reason you come to those moments of clarity, is because God is trying to help you understand something. And here's what I believe that God wants you to understand: that God wants you to understand that your story, my story, our story is found in God's story that ultimately our lives will never fully make sense. We'll never fully be able to understand the the, the the how it all works and answer the big question, why am I here? We will never fully make sense of our life so long as we spend our lives apart from God's story. The more we try to find significance and meaning in our lives apart from God and apart from the story that he's writing, the more we're going to find unsatisfying and unfulfilling and ungratifying answers to the question of why am I here? What I believe that God wants you to know today is that regardless of who you are, where you are, where you've been, what you've gone through, and how you got to church today or how you got to the website today to tune in online, that that it is not an accident that you are the way that you are. And what God wants you to know is that there is a role, there is a place in the story that he is writing that we talked about in week one from all the way from Genesis to the end of Revelation where we see that ultimately God's kingdom is going to win, that Jesus is gonna be victorious, that he is the star of the show, but God has custom made you for a specific role in the story that he is writing. And when we say yes to that, when we understand that, when we begin to find our place in his story, then and only then will the deep burning questions of life begin to get answered. The Bible tells us that all the way from the beginning, that God was thinking about you. Before God created Adam and Eve, before sin and death and darkness and disease, before he created the whales and the antelopes, before he created the sun and the moon and the stars, before he created time, you were on God's mind. In fact, Revelation tells us that from before the foundation of the world, before the world was created, the Lamb of God, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? It means that God knew that there was going to be problems in our life and problems in our world caused by sin. And before God even created time, he knew it was designed and destined and purpose that Jesus would be the one that would pay the price for your sin and for my sin so that we can find healing and wholeness and forgiveness so that we can begin to discover the love of Jesus and we can begin to understand all of the answers to life's most burning questions or found in the person of Jesus. Here's the thing that I know about God. I know that God is for you. That God loves you, that he cares about you and he is for you. Romans 8 31 says that if God is for us, then who could be against us? You see, when we begin to understand this about who we are and who God is, then we begin to realize that God has invited us to play the role and allows us to decide whether or not we're willing to experience his power and awe of the momentum of God blowing through the sails of our life like a mighty wind propelling us through the vast open seas of time and space so that we can know that our lives matter. And when God says that he is, if God is for us, who can be against us, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean that God is for you just chasing and pursuing every dream, every whim, everything that makes you feel good in a moment. That's, that's not what this is saying. But what it is saying is that God is for you to know and to understand and to experience a life that is fulfilling, a life that is gratifying, a life that is full of value and meaning and purpose. That is what he is for. He is for you being able to answer those questions and he wants you to experience life to the fullest and we begin to put it all together we begin to realize that God has wired us and created us to do good things that glorify him and impact the world and so we have to ask the question today if all of this is true and if we're trying to solve the problem of how do we start well and finish well, then I believe that there's 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 a question that we've got to answer. And it, it's this, how do we reconcile the things that we're called by God to do with all of the things in life we go through? Listen, I... I'm not immune to the stuff of life. I know that there's hardship, that there's difficulties. Sometimes they're just small, little frustrating nuances that just get in the way, like a little rock that you, little Lego, you step on on your way to bed at night. It gets in the way. It's painful. There are things that I have said in those moments that would make a sailor blush. Is it okay if I say that? I don't know if that's okay. Somebody just said, I don't know about that. I don't. I ain't perfect, y'all. But listen, there's, it's not just the little things, it's the big things. And so if you're sitting there and going, all right, preacher man, like you're telling me that God wired me and created me to do all these good things. My story's in his story and it all rhymes. It sounds real good. Great, awesome, sweet. That doesn't help me because I've still gone through some crap. And I can't reconcile what you're telling me from what my experience is. Well, I wanna help you begin to reconcile and I wanna help you understand how momentum can help us as we tap into the momentum of God that we can begin to experience this overwhelming force that can propel us beyond those hindrances, beyond those obstacles, beyond those devastating things to the life that God wants for you and wants for me. In order to do that, we've got to study a man in the Bible named Paul. Now, in order for us to understand how momentum works, we're going to have to see how it all began for Paul. We find this in Acts uh, Acts chapter 26. And if you remember, if you were here in week two, we talked about the predictable pattern of momentum, that there's an encounter, there's a revelation, and there's a surrender. I told you I'm gonna be piecing it all together, so I'm referencing some other things. I want you to see how it comes together in the life of Paul in Acts chapter 26. Paul is standing trial, and he is making his case for his innocence and under uh, the Roman rule, uh, uh, under the man of a name by the name of Agrippa. And he's basically standing in court and he's giving his testimony of his life, claiming his innocence. And as he does this, he's going to reveal this pattern, the encounter, the revelation, and the surrender. I want you to see it. He's gonna first talk about the encounter in Acts chapter 26. He says, uh, verse 12, "'While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus "'with authority and commission from the chief priests, "'at midday, O king, along the road, "'I saw a light from heaven.'" brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. He's describing the moment he had an encounter with God through Jesus. Next, he's gonna talk about the revelation. He's he's gonna talk about what Jesus said to him in that moment. Verse 16, but rise, Jesus speaking to Paul now, but rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from, from the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Paul, to this point in your life, you've only known what it means to live as a Jew. You've only really known what it means to live among Jews. But Paul, I'm sending you to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, because here's what they've not yet had the opportunity to know about. They've not yet had the opportunity to experience my love as demonstrated through the crucifixion and the resurrection of my son, Jesus. And because of that, they're living their lives in darkness they're walking around like a, like a man or a woman born blind with their eyes closed, filling their way clumsily through life, trying to figure out where do I go and what's the next step and what's the next thing that I do? And what God is saying is, As Paul, I never created them and I never wired them to go through life that way. Let me just ask the question, is that how your life feels right now? Because what God is saying to Paul about these people, God is including about you, that God never designed and desired you to go through life that way. This is why Jesus came. And God is telling Paul, Paul, I want to send you with a message of Jesus so that you can tell them about the light and the love and the power of Jesus that when they begin to, when they when they confess their sin and experience the forgiveness and the new life that I want for them, that they're going to experience my light in their life and no longer will they walk through life day by day, moment by moment, step by step as a blind person walking through the dark. But instead they will begin to have light and vision and direction and understanding about who I am and what I'm doing around them. What a remarkable calling, by the way. It's the same calling that God has given to every single one of us that proclaim the name of Jesus. That God's called us to be those kinds of people to the people in our world who have yet to experience the love of Christ so that they can understand that God didn't want them to walk in darkness, but they could walk in light. Paul reveals the encounter. He shares the revelation. And now what's next is, is what did Paul do? Did he reject the revelation or did he surrender to it? And we see in verse 19, he says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. This is Paul saying, Agrippa, I surrendered to the revelation. And Paul's moment of surrender is the thing that changed the course of his life forever. I want you to remember this in the text because this is going to become significant when we get to the end of the message because it's it's Paul's choice of surrender that enabled him to tap into the momentum of the kingdom of heaven that could propel him over hardships and through obstacles i can only imagine after Paul made that choice to surrender, the, the, the sense of enthusiasm and joy and purpose of waking up and putting your feet on the ground every morning knowing that what I do, what I say, where I go and how I live today matters. It's meaningful, it's significant. There's nothing about today that's gonna to be wasted. There's nothing I'm going to do today. There's no conversation I'm gonna to have today that is without purpose, that is void of merit. That is insignificant. Nothing I do today will be categorized under the banner of eh. And that same passion, that same drive, that same purpose is what God wants for you to have on a day to day basis. That you can know that when your feet hit the floor, that today I know that I'm gonna live my life for the things that matter most. And so what happens? Well, after Paul has this encounter, the revelation and the surrender, he spends the next year of his life ministering in a part of the world called Antioch. He's teaching people what he's learned so far about Jesus. After about a year there, he spends the next nine years of his life going on three different missionary journeys where God would send him from Israel into the other parts of the world surrounding them that have never heard the name of Jesus. After nine years of doing that, he comes back to a place in Israel, the region known as Caesarea Philippi, and as he's ministering there, there's people who aren't very happy with him. The Roman government is upset with him because he's become a lightning rod, and he's he's proclaiming things that, that their concern might be uh, against Caesar. Not only that, the religious leaders of his day don't like him very much because he's continuing to proclaim the message and the teachings of Jesus, the one whom these same religious leaders had murdered and crucified. And so Paul has now been arrested because the Roman government has to figure out what do we do with this man who keeps talking about the last guy that we didn't know what to do with when the Jewish people wanted us to have one of their own crucified, even though we found nothing wrong with him. And so Paul goes through a series of Legal confrontations. He's arrested. He spends the next couple of years in one court after another, after another, after another, stating his claim, making his case. And one night while Paul's in prison, Paul has a second encounter with God. Now this is highly unusual. From what I have seen and what I've studied in scripture, it's not often that I see that God brings an encounter, a revelation in the way that he does with Paul but he's going to bring a second encounter, a second revelation. And Paul tells us about it in Acts 23, 11. He says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. This is Jesus coming down from heaven into the prison cell with Paul and saying, Paul, I know you've been through some stuff, man. Be of good cheer. Because there's purpose in it. See, Paul, here's the thing. You've done a great job of what's going on. You've testified about me here in Jerusalem, but now you got to go to Rome. After this vision, after this encounter, Paul's standing in a court again and, and he's making his claim. He's been armed now with this new revelation and, and he's, as he has before, he's gonna surrender to that revelation and he's making his claim to another Roman leader and he basically says, listen, um, I don't know how y'all are gonna handle all this so I wanna, cease to, I wanna make my appeal to Caesar. The moment that Paul does this, Paul activates a right that he had as a Roman citizen that was by law, any Roman citizen at any point in the Roman empire, if they felt like they would have a reason to believe that Caesar would have a more advantageous or favorable ruling than whoever the ruler is in their region, then by law, they were required to transport that prisoner from wherever they were in the Roman empire and take them to Rome so they can make his case to Caesar. And so that's what happens. They put him on a boat. And because the, 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 the seas are so terrible, it takes almost a year for him to get to, from Caesarea Philippi all the way up to Rome. And in one particular instance, and we see this in the book of Acts chapter 27, in one particular night, the weather is so bad, the winds are so strong, the waves are so treacherous, that now these seasoned sailors are on the boat and they are freaking out. They are scared to death. They don't know what to do. What's amazing is Paul is the only calm voice on the boat. And the voice of reason and the voice of peace and the voice that brings confidence doesn't come from a member of the crew and it doesn't come from the captain of the crew. It comes from the man who is shackled and bound on the boat. And Paul says this in Acts 27, 22. He says, now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of this ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong to and whom I serve saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men. For I believe that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. This is remarkable to me. Everybody on the boat who knows how to navigate a boat is freaking out, except for Paul. You see, in this moment, Paul is unsinkable. How is he unsinkable? How is it in the midst of this devastating chaos, when all the people who know what to do are freaking out, how is it possible that Paul is able to be unsinkable? He's able to be calm. He's able to have a peace that surpasses understanding of the moment. It's because Paul knew that he had encountered. God and that God had given him a revelation that he had surrendered to that revelation and in so doing, he had tapped into the momentum of the kingdom of God, as I'll tell you in just a minute, how it's overcome several obstacles in Paul's life. take just a little side note. I want to talk about this idea of a peace that surpasses understanding because I hear that, we hear that said a lot if you're around church, Right? But I find that when you ask people, they don't really know how to explain it. What is the peace that surpasses all understanding? Is it like a warm and fuzzy, mushy-gushy thing that just makes me feel really good on the inside when everything on the outside feels like it sucks? Well, I, don't, I don't know what it will feel like to you, but I can tell you what it is. The peace that surpasses all understanding is having certainty in a God in God that is bigger than the uncertainty of the situation. You see, that certainty in God is anchored and rooted in the encounter that you had with him. The revelation that he brought to you and your decision to surrender to that. Can I tell you, it is impossible to have a peace that surpasses all understanding if you have rejected the revelation that God brought you in the encounter that you had with him. It's not that God doesn't want you to have it. God wants you to have it. It's that God is saying, you you don't have confidence in me that's bigger than the situation because you chose the situation when you walked away from me. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding, a certainty in God that is bigger than the uncertainty of the situation. And so here we are. Paul's bound and chains in the boat in the middle of the sea where the winds are fierce and the waves are high. The sailors are freaking out. Yet in the midst of it, Paul is chill. He's got a peace that surpasses all understanding. So what happens next in the story? When you continue to read the story, life happens. Stuff happens, disaster happens. The boat is run aground and they're shipwrecked. But not a single man on the boat loses their life. Paul does eventually make it to Rome and he spends the next five to seven years in prison. Some of it in a jail cell, some of it under house arrest. Here's what's remarkable. Remember what Jesus said to Paul. Paul, you've got to go to Rome. You've done some good things in Jerusalem, but I need you to go to Rome. Rome is the epicenter of the universe and that age and that season of the world. It's the epicenter of law. It's the epicenter of commerce. It's the epicenter of power. And so here's Paul and he gets to Rome and people start hearing about Paul and this message. And so people come and visit him and he begins to tell them about Jesus and about the the love of God and the power of God. And not only does he meet people who, uh, who are interested, some of these people are very wealthy. Some of them are very powerful. He also, because it's the epicenter of commerce, some of the people that are from the towns that he went to in his three missionary journeys have made their way to Rome for business and commerce. And while they're there, they stop by and see Paul and they begin to tell Paul about the things that are happening back in the churches that God told Paul to go and and raise people up in the churches that were eventually started as a byproduct of that. And while in prison for these years in Rome, Paul writes the letters to Ephesians, to Colossians, to Philemon, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and the letters to the Philippians. Paul, I need you to go to Rome. You don't yet know it yet. Remember what the initial revelation was? There's things I'm gonna do, things I need you to do that I'm not yet going to reveal to you. God's now revealed to Paul what one of the next steps are. I need you to go to Rome. And what Paul couldn't have fathomed, what he couldn't have known is that by being in Rome would have given him access to these people from all over the world that Paul had been to that would eventually become the anchor. It would have become the sustenance and the nourishment for followers of Jesus for 2000 years after he penned these letters in prison. Paul, I need you to go to Rome. What's interesting is in his letter to the Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 1 verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually happened to turn out, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What? My man, you are in prison, bro. Any rational and reasonable person would have said, God, why has this happened to me? But Paul has a different perspective, a perspective that only comes when you have caught the wave of momentum of God in your life that propels you beyond the obstacles. You see, here's the reality. I've only shared with you a stuff that just scratches the surface of what Paul went through because elsewhere in scripture, Paul gives us a little bit more of a perspective of some of the things that happened to him that he is now saying has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul, I've already read you've been, in, you were in prison, you were wrongly accused, you've been in jail, you were shipwrecked. Paul, this is awful. And Paul goes, no, 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 let me tell you because you don't even know the half of it. And what you are going to see is a hardship. I'm going to tell Tell you is the testimony. And he says in First Corinthians that I was arrested several times. I was whipped with a whip of 40 lashes five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent a floating in the water after a shipwreck. I was constantly confronted by robbers and by Jews and by Gentiles who sought me harm. I can't even count how many times I went without food and water. I can't tell you how many times I was in the cold without clothes and I was even bitten by a snake, y'all. And you know what Paul is saying? He's saying all of this, I recognize that you will hear this and go, oh, oh my goodness. I can't believe, why would God do that to you? But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That is what people say when they've never experienced the momentum of the kingdom of God in their life. Because when you've experienced the momentum of the kingdom of God in your life, then these things, yeah, they're difficult, they're hard, they're frustrating, but I have a testimony to tell you about how good and great my God is. any one of these things would have happened to any reasonable or rational person, we would not think twice of them or think bad of them for going, man, I just feel like God's against me. Oh, I just feel like God doesn't love me. God, I feel like you don't hear my prayers. In those moments, we'd be inclined to believe that the dream would be sunk. But notice what Paul continues to say. He says this in verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains, these shackles, these aren't Roman chains. They may have been Romans who put these chains on me, but the reason why I was had these chains put on me is because I was first chained to Christ. And I said, Lord, I will surrender to what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. I will stop whatever it is you want me to stop. And I will start whatever it is that you want me to start. Lord, I am yours. And he says, most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul was saying, I couldn't have written it this way. I probably wouldn't have written it this way. But now that it has been written this way, I can tell you that this I am not a victim of these circumstances. I have been emboldened by my God who I had an encounter with. He brought a revelation to me and I surrendered myself to it. And I have experienced his power over and over and over again in my life. And now the fruit of that is the people around me are starting to go, wow, God must be really awesome. Paul, I want some of that God stuff that you got and now I'm more bold in my faith to tell people about him. Paul, how is this possible? How is it that you're able to live your life having gone through everything that you've gone through? All of the obstacles, all of the hardship, all of the difficulty and yet Your life never sunk. It's as if Paul anticipated that in his letter to the Philippians, and he writes this in Philippians 3. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are ahead. I press to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, those things that have happened to me, they're in the past. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't awesome, but it's in the past. And I'm not a victim. I'm not walking around fretting those things Here's why, because what I experienced about God in those moments when I didn't give up hope has molded and shaped who I am today. I am a better person because I went through those things and I encountered the love and the power and the presence of my God. He says, so I, I leave those things in the past. And I press toward, I lean my life forward towards the goal for the prize of the upward call, which is in Christ Jesus. See, in this, we learn the secret of momentum. In this, Philippians 3, Paul opens the window to his life to help us to understand how it is that you and I can go through these hardships, these obstacles, these difficulties and our lives not be sunk and the dream and the vision not be sunk. That we can develop a resiliency that says, wow, that sucked. Got some scars to show that that hurt. But I'm gonna keep going. And this is what Paul was revealing. What is the prize that he was striving towards, the upward call in Christ Jesus? I can tell you this, the prize isn't a thing. It's a king. You see, Paul was not holding on to the prize of starting churches. Paul was not holding on to the prize of his physical well-being. Paul was holding on to the promise that was revealed to him in an encounter with King Jesus. And this is why I believe that we are so prone to start well, but not finish well. Because we are so inclined to hold on to the thing. I want to hold on to the hope of being married. I want to hold on to the hope of being a parent. I want to hold on to the hope of a new business, a new career. I want to hold on to the hope of a new house. I want to hold on to the hope of my physical well being. I want to hold on to my family and my people. I want to hold on to all of these things. So when things happen, as they always, always will, there will be obstacles, there will be gravity force moments that are going to wreck and try to wreck and bring down the trajectory of your life, when they happen, if your eye is focused on the prize of the thing, then your life will begin to sink. But if your life, if your eyes are focused on the prize that is the king, then you can never sink. And your life will be unsinkable. Listen, these moments when we come up against it seem like they're gonna interrupt and overwhelm and, and, and completely screw up the hopes and the plans and the dreams are hard. Can I tell you that Jessica and I, when we began praying about starting Discover Church, we, man, we had hopes and plans and dreams and visions. And when we started in 2018, in August of 2018, and we experienced these incredible things that God did. And I'll, I don't have time to tell you the whole story for those of you guys that weren't here, um, but, but God was doing amazing things. We had 562 people that showed up on our very first church service. Like that doesn't happen. And we didn't know what to do with it. And God was moving and lives were being changed when COVID happened and it struck everything down and everything shut down, can I tell you that I was praying, God, did you do all of this just so it could end now? Can I tell you, it was in that moment, in that season that we were in, as Jessica and I were praying for for our church, we were praying for you, we were praying for the world, we were praying for God, give us clarity and wisdom and understanding. It was in that moment that God brought this truth into clarity in our lives. And God just spoke to us, maybe not quite in the exact same words. It's taken time for me to, to, to distill what God has taught me in that, but this is the message. Jernigan, the prize I called you to is not Discover Church. The prize I called you to is not to, to be able to, to, to start something and see it go well and everybody talk great about it and lives be changed. That's not the prize. I am. I'm the prize, And God wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know that he cares about you. And God wants you to know that there is no thing at no time in any point in your life will a thing ever be the prize that God will call you to put your eyes on. But as you put your eyes on the prize that is King Jesus, there will be many things he will call you to do. And so I want to close today by asking two questions. Number one, what is the prize that your eyes are fixed on? I'm not saying it's wrong to have hopes and visions and dreams, please do, write them down. Something powerful happens when we write things down and we begin to make sacrifices and decisions and choices because we put something on paper and we put it in front of us so that we can see it. But I'm asking you the question today, what is the prize that your eyes are fixed on? And if it's anything other than King Jesus, then I would like to invite you to consider that Jesus is inviting you to lift your eyes a little higher. The second question I want to ask you today is this, have you surrendered? You see, right now in this moment, I don't, I don't know all of your story. I don't know why you're here. Some of you are here because somebody invited you to be here. Some of you are here because, uh, you know, you, you've been here and this is just what you do. And Some of you are tuning in online because you can't be here for one reason or another. But I believe with all my heart that right now that God has brought you into this moment, not by accident, but on purpose so that you can have an encounter with him because I believe that the spirit of God is speaking through the preaching of his word into your soul. And the way that we tap into this momentum is not by hearing and then doing nothing. The way that we tap into this momentum is by hearing and then surrendering. So I'm just going to ask the question today, have you surrendered? Whatever it is that God is putting on your heart, whatever it is he's talking to you about. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you feel the spirit of God speaking into your heart. Like, I don't know what to do, preach man. What am I supposed to do? All Jesus would want for you is that you would be willing to surrender your sin So that you can receive his forgiveness. And as you receive his forgiveness, you become one of his children. And what he's going to do in your life isn't so that he can make you good or make you gooder. No, no, no. You see, the problem isn't that we're bad people that are trying to be good. The problem is, is that we're dead people that God is trying to bring to life. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening!